John Newton and Biblical Counseling on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. Today on the podcast, I am delighted to have with me uh, one of my dear friends, Keith Palmer. He's a board member with ACBC. He is one of the pastors at Grace Bible in Granbury, Texas, and uh, he and several churches in the area actually cooperate together. He's the director of a center for biblical counseling there in North Texas, and they do such a wonderful job of training, of discipling, of leading churches in soul care. And I'm so grateful for Keith and his friendship to me, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion today as we talk about looking backward into history to see uh, how people can be helpful to us in thinking about the Scriptures and, and ministering the Scripture personally. And so Keith has been doing some work on a man named John Newton, and some of you are probably listening thinking, well, who in the world is John Newton? And so, Keith, what I want you to do is just to introduce us to John Newton. Who in the world is this guy, and how did he engage in biblical counseling, especially in a way that's helpful to us in 2020? Well, thanks, Dale. It's always a joy to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity today. So, so John Newton was an 18th century hymn writer and pastor, and probably he is best known for authoring the hymn Amazing Grace. So everybody knows Amazing Grace. John Newton was the guy that wrote that. What you may not know is that he spent 43 years as a pastor in two different churches. Uh, he was the mentor of uh, William Wilberforce, who, as you know, uh, worked in uh, Parliament to um, ban slavery. And um, so that's John Newton. The reason we want to talk about him today in terms of biblical counseling is that he wrote over a thousand letters. In addition to all the hymns that he penned, he wrote over a thousand letters of biblical counseling or pastoral care. In fact, uh, J.I. Packer uh, wrote that Newton was perhaps the greatest pastoral letter writer of all time. So when Packer says that, we better pay attention because this is someone we want to get to know a little better. His biographer, uh, Jonathan Aitken, said that he was, quote, the leading evangelical commentator on religious subjects in Britain. And if you just think about, you know, the 18th century and all of the spiritual giants that were on the planet in that day, you go, if, if Newton was the guy that everybody was going to uh, for insight and counsel, again, that sets him apart as somebody very unique and special. He was usually sought after for his actual pastoral care and counseling, often to deal with the difficulty and pain of various types of suffering. Uh, he advised pastors as well as Christians of all uh, types um, all over um, England in that day. And uh, what was neat for me as I got to know Newton reading his letters and, and reading a little bit about him was it really it was his theology of suffering, his biblical view of suffering that drove his biblical counsel, especially with hurting people. And so that kind of intrigued me and became a little bit of a research interest. Um, but that's what made his biblical counseling so unique in part was his theology of suffering and, and how he applied that to, to ministering to hurting people. Keith, as we talk about this uh, subject today, particularly John Newton, his ministry, I can't tell you how thrilled I am because uh, some people may be asking the question, like, why are we talking about someone who lived uh, a long time ago and who wrote a long time ago? 
I think it's interesting for our purposes to to understand that something happened in relation to pastoral care, 1850 and beyond. And what we see is even particularly in America, I would say in the 20th century, uh, many writers have said we unhitched our wagon from the classical view of pastoral care. And I think there's such a wealth of information uh, from men and women who wrote, who ministered well the Word of God. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we disconnect from the the plethora of work that they contributed in ministering to so much brokenness in, in the world in which they lived. They understood suffering, I would argue, maybe to a different degree than what we do. Uh, and they saw it without the modern advent of what we describe as being quote unquote scientific and this sort of thing and and what often parades around as as quote unquote science but but quite social science and so i think it's important that we revisit these things and and newton is one of these guys right so i'm already intrigued as we talk about him being a hymn writer um, and him uh, using his understanding of scripture to put theology to music as a means of uh, as adoration to the Lord, but also healing to us. Uh, Newton, as you mentioned, talks about suffering quite a bit, and he ministers in the midst of much suffering. What were some of his perspectives on suffering that informed his counsel to other people? Sure, yeah. Well, I think Newton loved to talk first about God's sovereignty and his goodness. Um, Newton would counsel people in his letters to see, and this is a quote, that afflictions spring not out of the ground, but are fruits and tokens of divine love, no less than his comforts, that there is a need be uh, whenever for a season he is in heaviness. Uh, That's the end of the quote. So he often referenced Romans 8.28, encouraging strugglers that God was both completely in control of their calamities and was also working for their good through them. And that demonstrated that the biblical counselor's advice to suffering people regarding the role of God is really directly related to the counselor's perspective of both God's control and God's character. And and, and to use your analogy, you know, hitching the wagon, um, you know, Newton's uh, counseling wagon was hitched to a robust biblical view of the character of God, specifically his goodness and his wisdom. Uh, Newton reminds us that theology drives biblical counseling, and therefore it's only faithful biblical theology then that fuels accurate and helpful counseling. Uh, So so that would be one way. Uh, Another focus of his counsel that that really uh, flowed out of his view of suffering was just how he viewed the person of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is a sympathetic high priest who feels for the sufferer in their suffering. And Newton wrote uh, to somebody in, in the throes of difficulty, he said, it is a comfortable consideration that he with whom we have to do, our great high priest, who once put away our sins by the sacrifice of himself and now forever appears in the presence of God for us, is not only possessed of sovereign authority and infinite power, listen to this, but wears our very nature and feels and exercises in the highest degree those tendernesses and commiserations which I conceive are essential to humanity in its perfect state. So so Newton's just saying he's not only God, he's good and he's powerful, he's in control, but he also possesses a fully human nature and and thus is able to be that sympathetic high priest that the writer to Hebrews talks about. Uh, Not only that, but uh, he doesn't only uh, would Jesus would not only sympathize with humanity 
in our weaknesses. But Newton also went on to say that Jesus is the supreme disposer, those are his words, of the believer's trial, and he sovereignly adjusts them in his wisdom. Listen to Newton again. When we further consider that he who thus suffered in our nature, who knows and sympathizes with all our weaknesses, is now the supreme disposer of all that concerns us, that he numbers the very hairs of our head. He appoints every trial we meet with in number and weight and measure, and will suffer nothing to befall us but what shall contribute to our good. This view, I say, is a medicine suited to the disease and powerfully reconciles us unto every cross. And of course, by cross, he's using it in the old sense of difficulty, right? So to, to see Christ and his goodness um, behind these things for our good. Uh, in fact, he went on to say even that trials are what he called tokens of love or disguised mercies. In fact, in one of his uh, uh, letters, again, he, he frequently refers to trials as love tokens from God and even wrote a hymn uh, titled with that same phrase. Uh, Newton, leaning on Hebrews 12, 1 to 11, encouraged suffering people to view their afflictions as love expressions of a heavenly Father who trains believers for holiness. And again, quoting Newton, uh, he wrote, And though they are still in a state of discipline for the mortification of sin, yet remaining in them, and though for the trial, exercise, and growth of their faith, it is still needful that they pass through many tribulations, yet none of these are strictly and properly penal, meaning they're, they're not God just punishing us. Instead, listen to Newton, they are not the tokens of God's displeasure, but fatherly chastisements and tokens of his love designed to promote the work of grace in their hearts and to make them partakers of his holiness. And I just wonder, who on earth is counseling like this today? I mean, to, to see the trials of life as actually love tokens from God and his, his fatherly care you know, as Christians, we're prone to see difficulties as divine expressions of punishment, but Newton urged them to view troubles as his fatherly training for righteousness. And in fact, in a different letter, he called uh, on his reader to view trials as, quote, tokens of divine love, no less than his comforts. Afflictions are in reality disguised mercies designed for the good of believers. Uh, he wrote, how seasonable and important at such a time is the mercy which under the disguise of an affliction, gives an alarm to the soul, quickens us to prayer, makes us feel our own emptiness, and preserves us from the enemy's net. Now, as I think about uh, even all that you've just said and the, the depth at which Newton is dealing with real difficulty, he's not dismissing the trouble. He's not pushing it aside. He's not acting as though it doesn't exist. He's actually embracing it. Uh, and he's helping us to root our experience in this blessed and boundless God that has been given to us and revealed to us by his word. And so, man, if we could hold that posture, right? If we could hold that posture toward the scripture, toward the, the beautiful God that has been revealed to us and take all of our experiences and root it in him, uh, we would see our, our situations quite differently. And this is exactly what Newton does. And, and this is the thing that we, I think, can learn from him. Uh, one of my favorite uh, poem writers and even hymn writers, William Cooper, was very influenced by Newton. And uh, but Newton influenced a lot more people than just than just Cooper, who may be familiar to some of our listeners. What are some of the examples of Newton's counsel to 
people who are in deep suffering like a William Cooper. Yeah, and as you know, he had a significant ministry to Cooper uh, that was ongoing. Um, they were even neighbors for a season. Um, well, Newton uh, did several things to try to care for people in suffering. And, and one of the ways, one of his favorite ways of doing that was to try to help them to see what was God doing in the suffering. Um, so in one letter, he wrote how suffering served the purpose of God in revealing hidden sins in the heart that need transformation. This is one of my favorite quotes here. Uh, Newton wrote, afflictions do us good likewise. And we stop and we say, they do, right? Really? Mm. Uh, they do us good likewise as they make us more acquainted with what is on our own hearts and therefore, and thereby promote humiliation and self-abasement. Now, now, here's the illustration. There are abominations which, like nests of vipers, lie so quietly within that we hardly suspect that they are there till the rod of affliction rouses them, and then they hiss and they show their venom. And I love this, it's like understated. Newton says, this discovery is indeed very distressing, yet till it is made, we are prone to think of ourselves much less vile than we really are mm -hmm. and cannot so heartily abhor ourselves and repent in dust and ashes. So he would say that God uses afflictions to show us areas of our heart that we don't see that God wants to change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we have nests of vile, we have snakes in our heart, apparently. Uh, that need to be addressed so that we can repent and apply the grace of Jesus. Uh, he also would write about what he called the need be of trials. And in one of my earlier quotes, uh, he alluded to this, but, uh, you know, suffering is very disorienting. Uh, people really struggle to know what to do, who they are, um, where is God. And, and one of the things that Newton would do to try to stabilize a person in that situation was to recognize that, that God is, is working in this trial for a reason. Um, he, he would say that um, uh, these trials are designed by God to encourage them that their trials are full of divine purpose. Uh, Newton had this special phrase that, that he would use to drive home the, drive home the point uh, that there was a need be for trials. So, so here's an example. This is Newton again. But when we are afflicted, it is because there is a need be for it. God does it not willingly. Our trials are either salutary med medicines or honorable appointments to put us in such circumstances as may best qualify us to show forth his praise. You just think about that. You know, God's doing this because there is a, a sanctificational, doxological purpose that we need to better image Christ, and, and, and thus that's the need be, right? Trials always have a divinely ordained purpose. They're not accidents. They're not random acts or moments of bad luck or fate. Instead, uh, difficulties are designed by God for the spiritual benefit of his children. Uh, for example, uh, he would say, by afflictions, prayer is quickened, uh, scriptural study is strengthened, and graces such as patience, meekness, long-suffering, all of those are enhanced. And so as believers, we, we recognize that suffering is always purposeful and a needed work of God to grow us into Christ-likeness in that way. And then maybe just, just one, other, one other thought here is uh, Newton, a theme of Newton's letter in terms of what is God doing in suffering is that they demonstrate our insufficiency so that we would lean more on the one who is sufficient. Mm. Uh, the main way God transforms suffering, according to Newton, and this is a, a dominant theme of his letters, 
uh, is to make believers to feel their own weaknesses, their own inadequacies, um, and, and, and utter dependence so that they would lean solely and continually on Christ. And you just think about how radical that is today mm-hmm. based on common counseling literature. You know, when we see somebody who feels inadequate, you know, we want to build them up with self-esteem. We want to, you know, make them feel better about themselves. Newton did the opposite. He saw that trials that bring us low and make us to feel our own inadequacy is actually grace. Mm. Uh, Listen to Newton here. The Lord permits us to feel our weakness, that we may be sensible of it. For though we are ready in words to confess that we are weak, We do not so properly know it Mm -hmm. till that secret, though unallowed, dependence we have upon some strength in ourselves is brought to the trial, and it fails us. To be humble and like a little child, afraid of taking a step alone, and so conscious of snares and dangers around us as to cry to him continually, meaning to Christ, to hold us up that we may be safe, is the sure the infallible, the only secret of walking closely uh, with him. And in fact, in another great analogy, he talked about how we have these these, uh, false supports in our life that need to be dislodged. Mm -hmm. So again, listen to Newton. When faith and knowledge are in their infancy, the Lord helps this weakness by cordials and sensible comforts. But when they are advanced in growth, he exercises and proves them by many changes and trials, uh, meaning he may take some of those away, right? Mm-hmm. And calls us to live more directly upon his power and promises in the face of all discouragements to hope even against hope and at times seem to deprive us of every subsidiary support so that we may lean only and entirely upon our beloved. Mm. Man, that is so good. And I, I think even as you're talking about the way Newton tries to help uh, the sufferer to, to frame their suffering in relation to God, that, that God is willing to risk us misconstruing his character and who he is for our good. Man, what a, what a great God that we serve, that he is kind and he uses affliction as grace to tear from us the things that destroy us most. And Newton, these guys were able to see the depth of suffering. They were honest about um, the wickedness even in our own heart, but they pointed in the right direction. And man, I pray that we can we can do that as well. Keith, this has been helpful. And it really is true. Mark Deckard wrote a book called Helpful Truth in Past Places. There are some wonderfully helpful truths in past places. Uh, and and people may be interested in to know a little bit more about Newton. And, and we can tell that this is sort of like just a scratch of the surface of all the things that, that Newton wrote about that could be helpful. What are some of the resources that, that our listeners may find helpful in relation to Newton? Yeah, yeah. Well, to dive into his letters, I would recommend the book. It's just called The Letters of John Newton. It's ed- edited by Josiah Bull. Uh, it's a Banner of Truth uh, publication, and that's a great introduction. If uh, our listeners have never heard any of John Newton's letters. That's a great introduction there too. And then maybe just to get to know John Newton better in terms of his theology and particularly how he thought about sanctification and suffering, uh, Tony Ranke has written a wonderful book called John Newton on the Christian Life. And um, I would highly recommend that uh, as a good introduction to him. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Today is the day. We have talked about for quite some time. Our members will be very familiar with this 
idea, and I hope many of you who listen to the podcast will appreciate the announcement that we are about to make. And this announcement is that today, November 30th, we are excited to launch our brand new website, biblicalcounseling.com. We have spent months and months and months working on developing, brainstorming about how we could make our website better for all of you, better access to resources, better ways to serve our membership, better ways to connect to counselors, better ways to connect to training centers. And we have done what we think is our best. I'm sure it's not perfect, but we have done this all with the idea in mind we want to serve all of you well. Uh, We think that now we have a platform where you can avail yourself to so many more resources. You can see resources broken down by scripture, broken down by title, broken down by author. We want this to serve as such a resource for you personally as you attempt to grow and learn in the process of counseling and caring for others. Uh, We want this to edify you in the way in which you do your ministry. And so I want to encourage you to go to our website today, the, the, the day that we launch this to the public, and to peruse around, to check it out. If you're a member, I want to encourage you, if you've not done so yet, go to our member page, uh, update your information, pursue the renewals. You're going to see a brand new process that I think you'll find much more simple, much more intuitive a much easier process to go about engaging our website and to keeping up with your your personal membership. We are excited about this. Of course, we love your feedback. And so uh, go take a look, peruse around, use it. We think that our maps are going to be very useful to people to find counselors as they need help. We've seen over these last 10 months how important it is to be able to find help and hope, especially during the dark days of the pandemic that we've lived through. And our maps, which are new and improved, are going to help with that to find a counselor. And maybe you want to do more training. Maybe you've been saying, man, I've been wanting to do this kind of training for quite some time. On that map, you'll be able to find training from our 75 training centers around the U.S. So can I encourage you to avail yourself to this brand new resource? It's what we are excited about. We've put a lot of effort into. I encourage you to go visit, check it out. Uh, Hopefully you will find it very, very helpful. Uh, as you live to care for other people and as it encourages you in your life and ministry. And as always, for more information, you can find out about our new website at biblicalcounseling.com.